This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome in to another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Um, We've got an interesting show for you today. Tennis is not officially back yet. Um, It is almost back. As in my last episode, I talked about the schedule that tennis will be coming back in, but the schedule has changed, and it actually changed like hours after I dropped last week's episode. So I apologize, I didn't get it in last week's episode, but I did send a tweet out there that said I will cover it in this episode. So the ATP announced that the City Open will not take place this year. Um, That was supposed to be the first tournament back. It was scheduled to start on August 13th, and it was the first tournament for the ATP Tour Um after the tour was suspended earlier this year in 2020. Um, But they canceled it, and that one was an ATP 500 um, in Washington, D.C., but they did cancel it because of complications with COVID, and they they couldn't really figure it out, I don't think. Um, One quote from um, the chairman at the City Open said, in quote, with only 23 days left until the start of the tournament, there are too many unresolved external issues, in, or including various international travel restrictions as well as troubling health and safety trends. Now, this worries me a little bit for the return of tennis. Now, don't get me wrong. I really do want tennis to come back, and I want the tour to resume. But with tennis being such a global sport, especially during a global pandemic, I do realize that it's going to be very difficult for that to happen. And to be honest, health is the number one priority, especially in professional athletes. And the tennis, ATP, WTA really can't do anything, or should I say I don't see them doing anything, in the realm of the NBA bubble, um, the NHL bubble, how MLB is handling what they're doing. I just can't see it happening because the league or the ATP tour isn't just in one spot. And that concerns me a little bit about the return of tennis. But on the other end, if it can't be safe, I don't know why you would do it. Um, You know, some tournaments I get the economic value and, um, you know, you have to make money. But at the other end, it's not going to be good when some of your top players get COVID. We saw that with the Adria tour with the Novak Djokovic happening in Serbia. Um, you know, Grigor Dimitrov, Djokovic, um, Borna Cioric, um, just some of the names 
that got the coronavirus from there. Obviously, they are well and fine and gratefully so. But on the other hand, or on the other hand, I just don't see how some of these tournaments can happen. And one thing with the City Open is, yeah, there are a still lot. There are um, a lot of you know external problems that are happening around the world um, when it comes to travel, just travel in general, and that is just a glimpse of the start of the problems because most of these guys, I wouldn't say a lot of the players, but some of them travel privately. So why would they have a problem with traveling um, internationally on an airplane? But on the other end, they are from some of these country, countries that have a travel restriction to the U.S. So if they come to the U.S., maybe they can't come back you know, to Europe in the European Union or vice versa. But something that really concerns me about this is it is an American tournament. And so this is part of the lead up to the U.S. Open. And just 23 days out, they canceled it. Um, This has got to raise a lot of eyebrows at the USTA. This has got to raise a lot of eyebrows at the U.S. Open. And this is in Washington, D.C. New York City at one point was the epicenter in the entire universe, um, in the entire globe, in the world. They were the epicenter of the pandemic. And still to this day, they are seeing a lot of cases in New York City, and they're still having a lot of problems with the coronavirus, rightfully so. The population is huge in the state of New York and specifically in New York City. But if you're going to cancel a tournament in Washington, D.C., I really don't know. I mean, it is an ATP 500, but I don't know how you're not going to cancel a tournament in the U.S. Open. Now, maybe they'll shock me. And at the other end, The U.S. Open does have a lot more money to work with than an ATP 500. They are a Grand Slam. They can put all their eggs in one basket to make sure that happens. But is this raising the eyebrows of players as well? Is it safe to come to the U.S.? I mean, the U.S. is, you know, over, I think they reached 140,000 deaths. You know, we're over, like, we have millions of cases here in the U.S., especially in highly populated areas, which is where these tournaments will be played. So... I just have really have a hard time believing that the U.S. Open um, is going to carry on. Now, maybe it will. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and maybe they're, they really are going to dump a ton of money in making sure it's safe, and they're going to make it as similar to the bubble as possible. But with tennis being such a global sport, I just have a really hard time believing that um, it can really go on. And if it does, I don't know how many of the top players will play in it. I think a fair amount will. But at the other end, I really don't see, um, you know, some of the big players really getting into the U.S. Open just because, um, one, COVID concerns. Two, is it really worth all that work to play in the U.S. Open? Now, yeah, maybe because it, it is a Grand Slam. You do want to win another Grand Slam. Um, you know, time's running out for the big three. You know, Joker, Rogers, obviously not playing in it, but Joker and Nadal. So um, maybe they will play in it. I just... It's a really hard conversation to have and a really hard thing to wrap your brain around, but um, it's going to be a very different lifestyle for some of these players if they continue to play um, in something like the U.S. Open, especially with the French Open right behind it, which I talked about in last episode. So if you're listening now and didn't listen to my last episode, I would strongly consider going to listen to my piece about um, you know the U.S. Open, players playing in that, and the French Open. But if you're a clay court player, would you skip the U.S. Open? just to play in the clay court because they're so close together. I could go into it again, but I'm not going to. So um, that's my concern with the U.S. Open, with the City Open um, not continuing. And so now that the City Open isn't happening in Washington, D.C., the first tournament 
of the year is looking to be Cincinnati, and that is actually at the USDA Billy Jean King National Tennis Center in New York City. So, um, you know, if they can make that happen, they can really keep the players in New York City for a lot of time. That is August 22nd. So tennis is pushed back to August 22nd um, for now. So keep up with me on these uh, Believe in the ATP Tour podcast for the future here, and we will see what happens in the world. I'm just glad I'm not a decision maker right now. I'll tell you that. I'll talk about it. I'll talk about tennis. I'll talk about other things, but I'm just glad I'm not making any decisions in the world because I'm only 24 years old and I would have a lot of gray hair. Uh, let's move it over to something a little bit more entertaining to you know talk about. So the ATP Tour posted something the other day that I thought was really interesting, and you know I like to follow them and see um, some of the fun stats that they put out there. And this is one that I thought was fun, so I'm gonna I'm gonna mention it right now. And it says weeks at number one so the number of weeks that a given player has been at number one in decades right so they start with the 2000s which is 2000 to 2010 roger federer just sweeps the competition in the 2000s um roger federer has 262 weeks at number one now there's 52 weeks in a year right so that means that is over five yeah it's about probably about five years total at being number one over that time. Uh, Hewitt, Leighton Hewitt's at 80. He's in second. And then Andre Agassi at 50. He's in third. And then Nadal is in fourth at 46. Something to mention at uh, at the bottom is uh, Safin at nine and Ferrero at eight. Uh, Novak Djokovic is not in this list. Noted, right? So I was looking at this. I was like, wow, Novak's not in this list. That's crazy. I thought he'd have eight weeks at number one in the 2000s. You know, maybe. Just thinking out of thinking like out of a whim, maybe that'd be it. Well, nevertheless, I scroll over. Weeks at number one in the 2010s, right? Roger in the 2000s, 262. In the 2010s, Novak Djokovic, 275. That is a lot. That is you know, 13 more than Roger had in the 2000s. You know, you remember how, um, you know, if you're old enough to remember back and when Roger played in the 2000s, I mean, the man was so dominant. I remember watching him as a kid and his matches were like almost not fun to watch anymore because he was so dominant, right? So it was like, why would I watch this match if I know Roger's going to win it? Why would I watch this Grand Slam if I know Roger's going to win it? Why would I do, right? Yeah, Djokovic, was that kind of player in the 2010s? Now, not to the extent Roger was, because when Djokovic got bigger, there was Djokovic or there was Nadal and Federer and Murray, as a matter of fact. You know that were still really, really good in the 2010s and won a lot of majors in there. But Djokovic obviously had a better run during that decade. But in the 2000s, I mean, Federer had 262. The next one was Hewitt at 80. Now in the 2010s, Djokovic has 275. The next one is Nadal at 159. So he's just under 100 less than Djokovic. And Federer's third at 48 and Murray's fourth at 41, which I was kind of shocked by Federer only having 48 weeks. But you're thinking weeks here. You know, this is a long time. 48 weeks is almost a year that Roger Federer was at number one during the 2010s. So super impressive. Um, But it just kind of shocked me that Djokovic wasn't, um, you know, wasn't in the top that they showed uh, weeks-wise in the 2010s. And it's just something, um, you know, especially the, during this pandemic to look at some of the weirder stats and things. And I have covered a few of them uh, here and there throughout this pandemic and even before. But 
Um, it's just really interesting to see some of these, um, what some of these research teams really find when it comes to um, some of these weird, weird stats in sport. Um, let's transition over to something that I really wanted to talk about this episode, and it is the World Team Tennis. Now, World Team Tennis has been a thing for a while now, and um, I've never really got into it because it's always been during the season, right? So there's a lot of players um, you know, that might struggle during the tour and might just want to stay home and watch, you know, world team tennis. And their world team tennis is, um, you know, all sorts of players, you know, players that might play on the tour, but it might become too much. So they might just want to step back and just play in the U.S. and play, um, you know, world team tennis is a little, I don't, I don't want to say less competitive, but it's a little bit more fun than actual ATP tour is. And it's a little bit more entertaining for the entertaining or entertainment value of some of the fans and all that jazz, right? You get you get the point. If you watch tennis, you probably know of World Team Tennis. Well, with this pandemic, World Team Tennis has come back, and it's come back a little heavier um, of competition than one might expect. So World Team Tennis right now is absolutely electric. A lot of highlights they're having, and it's a lot of fun. And let me explain to you some of the names that is playing in World Team Tennis right now. And I'm going to venture to say that these names wouldn't be in this World Team Tennis if it wasn't for this pandemic. So let's go to the New York Empire as a team, right? The New York Empire has a newly back into the WTA, Kim Kleisters, right? Big name to start off the New York Empire. They also have Coco Vandeweghe, who's also a big name in women's tennis. And they have Jack Sock, who is coming out off of an injury and trying to get back in the singles game, had some success in doubles. But Jack Sock, nevertheless, a big name in America. He's American, Coco Vandeweghe's American, and Clint Kleisters is not, but nevertheless, a huge, huge name in the sport. Um, let's go down. We're going to skip a couple teams here and go to the Philadelphia Freedoms. This is an American team if I've ever seen one. Um, let's start off. Caroline Dolhide, who's an American, real good player, solid player. Sophia Kennan might ring a bell. Australian Open, Sophia Kennan, yes. Um, Taylor Fritz, big up, big up and coming American. Um, if you've been watching tennis for a while, you're gonna know this name, Donald Young. Um, Donald Young played, used to be, you know, pretty decent. Was an up and coming youngster. Um, struggled a little bit in the middle, but nevertheless, still a pretty good American name and um, plays well in some of these tournaments as well. And then uh, Taylor Townsend, American that you might recognize from the U.S. Open last year, beat Simona Halep in Arthur Ashe Stadium. Played a lot of the net game. Nevertheless, what an American team. Dolhide, Fritz, Kennan, Townsend, Young. The Philadelphia Freedoms. What a team to watch. Um, let's move it down to the Washington Castles. They have a few big names on it. They have, um, I'm just going to say two of their names on it. Tommy Paul, he's an American. Uh, kind of a younger American, nevertheless. He's pretty good. Um, good American to watch if you want to watch some. There's the, there's a good young talent of Americans coming up. Um, you know, Noah Rubin has been trying to break the tour for a while. Um, Tommy Paul's really good. And then you look at, you know, Taylor Fritz and Riley Opelka and Jack Sock, and you kind of look into that crew and a lot of good tennis players there. And Venus Williams is um, on the Washington Castles. Now, if you know tennis, you know Venus Williams. If you, even if you don't know tennis, you know Venus Williams. Um, let's move on to the um, Vegas Rollers. Um, in the Vegas Rollers is the Bryan brothers, who this year is supposed to be their last year. 
Um, but they're going to play in this. They're playing in the World Team Tennis. So really cool to see them. Um, Monica Puig, rock star there. Um, that's a big name. Sam Query, the Americans playing in it. And I, Isla Tom Lanovich. I always have a terrible, terrible way of saying her name. I think it's Tom Lanovich, right? I'm going to say it's Tom Lanovich. Um, Isla Tom Lanovich. Um, she's played really well since the whole coronavirus thing has happened. Um, if there's a silver lining there, I don't want to say there's a silver lining there. But um, for her, I think she got some time in Florida to really train. Her boyfriend was, I don't. I think it still is, Matteo Berrettini. And I think they trained together. And both of them have come off, um, you know, the whole quarantine thing, you know, guns a blazing. Really good. Um, let's go to the Chicago Smash, which is the last team I want to touch. And this is a really, really entertaining team i've seen a lot of highlights from this team um eugenie bouchard is on that team the canadian uh bethany maddox sands the ever entertaining bethany maddox sands um just an electric player to watch especially in doubles she specializes in doubles and makes it a blast to watch and another big doubles name rajiv ram on the men's side um watching bethany and rajiv ram play is a lot of fun and then sloan stevens the american is also on that team now let me get to some rules um that the world team tennis has and number one no ad scoring so they play one two three game so no ad scoring and then they play five or six sets and i believe in the um at the national level like where all these players are playing they play six sets right and so they play one set of men's singles one set of men or men's doubles which is two sets and then they play one set of women's singles one set of women's doubles and then I believe they play two sets of mixed doubles, if I read that right. I think it says one or two sets of mixed doubles. But since they play six games, they play um, they play two sets of mixed doubles. And then on top of that, if it's a tiebreaker, it's first to five. So they play a nine-point tiebreaker, first one to five wins. It's really a fascinating way to watch tennis. Um, team tennis doesn't really come in a lot in the world of the tour, um, there's a Laver Cup, you know, the Davis Cup, some, some stuff like that. But at the grand scheme of things, there's not a whole lot of team tennis in the sport of tennis. And so watching world team tennis, especially during a pandemic when you kind of just want to smile and watch some good sports, um, world team tennis, team tennis is right there to pick you up. So it's it's an ever-entertaining sport to watch and an ever-entertaining way to watch the sport of ten- tennis. And I really encourage you to, you know, if you have a couple down or a little bit of downtime, which I know some states are really on lockdown still, if you're unemployed, um, I hope everything really works out for you. But I do think that, um, you know, maybe if you have some downtime, you do watch some world team tennis, especially with some big, big names in it. Um, and it is pretty entertaining. Lots of smiles, lots of fun. Um, used to be a lot of high fives. Don't think that's a lot anymore because of the pandemic, but nevertheless, good tennis. Um, uh, I think that's about it for today. Um, I feel like we touched on some good things, and next episode we'll touch on a little bit more. It will be August next episode, so it will be the month that tennis will restart, and um, it's ever so long um, hiatus that it took, and we'll talk about the restart again next week, I'm sure, and then we'll talk about a little bit more, world, uh, not world team tennis, but just tennis that's going on in general, and maybe some more fun facts um, from the ATP. So we'll keep you updated there. If you want to sponsor, you can reach out at Believe.com or you can reach out at Believe Podcast, B-L-E-A-V Podcast, both on Twitter and on Instagram. You can reach out to me at Jacob Sersosimo, C-E-R-S-O-S, 
IMO. Let me know what you think. Um, please, 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 please be safe out there. A um, lot going on in the world right now. Um, please be safe. Uh, wear a mask if it's going to help you. If it doesn't help you, it'll help others. Thanks for listening this week. I really appreciate it. A lot going on in the tennis world. Like I said, reach out to me if you have any topics you want me to talk about or maybe possible guests you might want to see on this show. And other than that, be safe and take care. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.